kids, if you are brave enough to come on up here and sit in the first couple of rows, um, if there is some, you know, you're good. You're good, yeah. You just sit there and uh, you can help monitor. In fact, can you, will you count? Just, I got, I need the number 18 is the magic number. So, there, there we go. There's a few more. Perfect. I'm going to grab a stool. Hey, dude, where do you want to sit? Sit next to your new friend? All right. You're going to sit with mom. That's fine, too. <laughs> Mom's like, it's family friendly. It's the one Sunday I get to sit by myself. Hey, um, kids, what's under here? No clue. Ah. Some sort of pointy object. Man, I am curious. You guys stay there. Stay there. Hmm. That's a mystery. It is a We don't know what it is. It is a mystery. Are you curious? Yeah? I can tell you. I'll tell you this. You guys will really, really, really like it. You want me to reveal what it is? Well, when I say the word reveal, what do I mean? JJ. Show it. You want me to show it? You guys out there, you want me to show it? No, <laughs> no says one. And Pastor Michael, it's good to see you. It's good to have you back. Very good. Well, hey, kids, so what is under here is a mystery, and I am going to reveal it, but we're going to talk a little bit first. Fair enough? Let me start by praying. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for opportunities that we have to teach our kids. Uh, I pray that not only would they learn, but that we would learn as well. Uh, guide us and direct us as we open your holy word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, adults, go ahead and grab your Bibles. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We're wrapping up our study in 1 Timothy today. Kids, here's a question for you. On a Sunday morning like today, what do you normally do? Esri? Wow, you listen to Scripture and answer questions. I want to go even, that, that's very specific. On a Sunday morning, when you get up and you go somewhere, where do you go? You go to church. That's right. Now, when you're in church, when you're here, are there specific things you need to do, specific behaviors they're supposed to have? Not be super crazy. Not be super crazy. That's good. Supposed to, oh yeah, oh wow, good picture. Supposed to be quiet, okay. Supposed to respect God, that's good. Supposed to wear nice clothes. Kids, you ever uh, come to breakfast on a Sunday morning and your mom or dad looks at you and says, ah, 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 it's, it's Sunday. You need to go put on some church clothes. Go put on some nice clothes. You're raising your hand because that's happened, right? Yeah. Today. <laughs> I love it. We're supposed to wear our Sunday best because God wants our best. Wear our church clothes. Let me ask you a couple things. While we're in church, should we get up and go get coffee a bunch of times? I'm asking the kids. Adults, this is time just to listen. <laughs> no, kids say, okay, should we get up and go to the bathroom a whole bunch of times? I mean, if you really got to go, it's understandable, but okay. Should you whisper to your neighbor. Well, should you whisper to your neighbor, especially if you don't know how loud your whisper is? No. 
Okay, should you laugh in church? If it's funny, yeah, sometimes. Should you cry really, really loud so that everybody's looking at you? If somebody had never gone to church, ever, if they had never gone to church, how would they know these rules? Ezri? Yeah, by watching how people go every single Sunday. But if somebody has never set foot into a church building, it would... How do you think they'd learn? Maybe at school, maybe. But I don't know if there's any lessons at school. we got a couple teachers in here where we say, okay, on Sundays, this is what you're supposed to wear. This is supposed to how you act. You know, we don't have a list of rules when people walk in. You, you can double-check your bulletin. There's no list of rules in there either. And there's nothing that says how to, how to dress either. So I wonder how people who have never been to church would know. Well, the Apostle Paul in the Bible must have known these type of questions would be asked, especially in the church in Ephesus, where he was writing to his young friend named Timothy, who he was training to lead the church. Because he talked about how we're supposed to act in church. So kids, listen to this. And adults, you can follow along in 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. Paul says this, I am writing these things to you now, even though I hope to be with you soon, so that if I'm delayed, you will know how people must conduct themselves in the household of God. This is the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. He says, so people will know how to conduct themselves in the household of God. So it sounds like the Apostle Paul was saying, I'm writing all these things to let you know how to act. So did Paul talk about any of the things you guys talked about? Don't be crazy. Don't get up and go to the bathroom a bunch. Don't drink coffee. Not, not don't drink coffee. Don't get up and go get a bunch of coffee. Did he, did he write about these in 1 Timothy? You know, the only thing he mentioned that you guys mentioned was how to dress. And he mentioned that in chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. He says, just dress modestly. Dress so that it doesn't draw attention to yourself. If you have hair and makeup and jewelry and clothes, make sure people aren't looking at you because of that. But the rest of the stuff he didn't mention. But he says these things. So what did he say in terms of how we're supposed to act? I've got a list. We're not going to read the entire letter, but I've got a list. Paul says, this is how you should conduct yourself. You should be people filled with love. You should be people living with a clear conscience. You should be people with pure hearts and a genuine faith. Paul says, this is how you conduct yourself in church. He says, be filled with grace and love. Show mercy. Cling to the faith. Pray for all people, even leadership. Be free from anger and controversy. He says, this is how you conduct yourself in the faith. There's some big words here. It says, live above reproach, be faithful to your spouse, be self-controlled, wise, have a good reputation, be hospitable, be gentle, don't argue, have integrity. This is how you conduct yourself in church, Paul says. Now, I'll stop there. That's only about a third of what he says in this letter. Ultimately, this is a list of character. It's a list of what's in the heart. It's a list of what's beneath the clothes that we wear. Paul says, if we live like this, we're going to be a good representation of the church of the living God, which is the pillar and foundation of the truth. So Paul says, live this way. 
Does Paul only mean on Sunday mornings we're supposed to act like that? Yes or no? Just nod your heads. No. But he talks about when you're in the house of God. Isn't this the house of God? The word he uses is oiko. Can you say oiko? Now say it really loud and make your parents proud. Oiko. Sounds like what a pig sounds like, huh? Oink, oink. The word he says is oiko, and it's got two meanings. The first, it can mean a building, kind of like this. But the second, it can mean a group of people, a family of people. In Hebrews chapter 8, we see the house of Israel, the oiko of Israel. And in Luke chapter 1, we see the oiko of David. So in a very real way, the people around you are part of your oiko. They're part of your household of faith. So here's, you know, sometimes your parents, when you're sitting in church, tell you not to squirm and not to look around. I want you to stand up right where you're at. Go ahead, stand up. Turn around, and I want you to point at who is in your oiko, who's in your household of faith. Who else? Okay, let me, let me ask some questions. Okay, watch this. Is he in your household of faith? Yeah. Is she in your household of faith? Well, Yeah. How about Miss Madonna? Is she part of your oiko? Yeah? And Miss Donna? Yeah? He is a, I'm giving you permission to point, okay? Who's in your oiko of faith? Everybody, right? Go ahead and sit down. Paul says we need to act like this list that I just gave you whenever you're with your oiko, your people of faith. Now, he would also say act like this when you're around people who don't know Jesus as well. Now, Paul also gives us some instructions on what we're supposed to do in church, because that's kind of the question I started with. And he says this in chapter 4, verse 13. So just listen to it. Adults, you can follow along there. Paul says, until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers, and teaching them. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging them, and teaching them. Three things. Sounds a lot like what we do on a Sunday morning. At least it should. So we're going to look at those three things really, really quick. What was the first thing he said? Focus on what? Focus on reading the scriptures. Focus on reading the Bible. Why? Well, because the Bible points to Jesus. And Jesus, yes, gives us some ways to live today, but Jesus also points us to how we'll live forever with him. So he points us towards life now and life forever. And we find that in here. It's interesting because Jesus was talking one time to a whole big crowd of people in John chapter 6, and he was talking about some hard things, and a lot of people started leaving. So he turned to his disciples and he said, are you going to leave too? John chapter 6, verse 68, 69, Peter says, Lord, where would we go? You alone have the words of life. We believe that you're the Holy One of God. So Peter says, Jesus, you have the words of life. Where would we find Jesus' words? Cody? In the Bible. That's probably why we should read them. Psalm chapter 119, 1 and 2. Joyful are people of integrity who follow the instructions of the Lord. Where would we find God's instructions? Go ahead, say it out loud. 
in the Bible, right? Verse 2, joyful are those who obey his laws and search for him with all their hearts. Where would we find God's laws? In the Scripture. Where would we search for God to find him? We're going to see him in there. So Paul tells Timothy, make sure when you're together as a church, read the Scriptures. What was the second thing Paul told us to remember to do? Do you remember, J.J.? What was it? Right. So he says, until I get there, focus on reading the Scriptures to the church and encouraging the believers. Most of the Bibles that your parents are reading have the word exhorting. Exhort the believers. What does the word exhort mean? Anybody? Cody? Love and encourage. Encourage would be a good thing. Yeah. So the Greek word is paraklesis, for those that really want to know the Greek. And it means an, an intimate nudging, a holy urging. It means on a one-on-one, one-on-one type of way. So Paul tells Timothy, well, look, when you get together as a church, there's going to be times where you need to encourage people to live God's way because maybe they haven't been, and you need to do it very personally with them. Does that make sense? Let me demonstrate, okay? Paraclesis. Paul says you need to encourage the believers. So, you guys know who Mr. Tim is? Mr. Tim, go ahead and wave. He was up here playing the guitar. There's two different ways that we could take this. Encouraging. It could be like this, okay? Hear ye, hear ye, church. Mr. Tim, three weeks ago we went to lunch together, and I noticed that the way you treated the waiter was bad. You need to make sure you treat people with respect because God wants that. I encourage you this morning. Do that. Kids, do you think that's what the Apostle Paul meant by encouraging? Remember he said it means an intimate, an intimate nudge. Okay, a one-on-one nudge. So it's more like this. Hey, Mr. Tim, look, the other day we went to lunch, and I noticed you were a little bit rude to the waiter. Jesus says treat other people the way you want to be treated. So can you work on that, man? Thanks, thanks. Is that more like encouragement? Yeah. I wouldn't want, to, I wouldn't want the pastor to stand on a chair and holler at me. No. Pastor's crazy. Yeah. So Paul says, when you're together as a church, read the scriptures, and he says, encourage the believers. What was the third thing he said? Esri, teach them. Teaching. Does teaching really go on in the church? I thought that just happened in the schools. It goes on in the church, too. Yeah, Paul says, teach them, and the Greek word there means teach them so that they understand and so they can apply it to life. So it's more than just we understand it in here, but we actually put it into practice. You guys ever confused with what's in the Bible? Sometimes it needs explaining, right? Even in our passage today, chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, we've looked at. Paul said, look, I really want to come to visit you guys, but until I get there, this is how you should act. Now listen to verse 16, kids, and I want you to tell me when I'm done if this makes sense to you. Read from the King James Version. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified by the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. That makes sense? 
iffy. So Paul says, teach to where people understand. Kids, I'm going to teach this. That verse, very simply, is the life story of Jesus. It's his life story. The first line was this. He was revealed in a human body. This is talking about when Jesus came and became one of us. He was born. He was raised. He lived among us. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, So the Word, so Jesus became flesh and made his home among us. That's the first line. Second line is this. I think it's in there. Well, I know it's in here. He was vindicated by the Spirit. Vindicated. That's a, that's a big word that means declared righteous, which is the big word that means God saying, hey, you're, you're all right by me. Two times that Jesus was, well, two times we could look at that Jesus was declared righteous by God. The first is at his baptism. See, we see the little dove coming down. That's the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove coming down. And in John chapter 2, Luke chapter 2 and John chapter 1, it says they heard the voice of God say, this is my son and I'm, I'm pleased with him. He brings me great joy. That's God saying, hey, he's righteous. I'm pleased with him. Second time, we can look at Romans chapter 8, verse 11, and that's when the, the Spirit of God raised Jesus from the dead. Evidence that God had declared him righteous. So that's what vindicated by the Spirit means. The third line says he was seen by angels. What? When? Job chapter 38, verses 4 to 7, it talks about the angels cheering as God created now, John chapter 1 talks about, uh, talks about Jesus taking part in creation. The creation was made through him. So that means that as the angels were cheering, they were cheering because they were cheering for what Jesus was doing, which means they saw him. See? Look at the life story of Jesus. He was revealed as a, in a human body, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, and announced to the nations. Who is the nation's? Tane, do you know who the nations are? No? Who's the nations? Malia? People. People around the world. People who speak different languages. It says he was revealed to them. Right? Acts chapter 2, verse, uh, let me see, where are we going? Verse 7. Listen to this list of nations. Um, the disciples were together, they were praying, and the Holy Spirit came upon them like tongues of fire. You might know that story. And they began speaking in different languages. And the people around, it says, were completely amazed. How can this be? They said, these people are from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking our own language. Now listen to this. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done, announced to the nations. This is part of Jesus' life story. Now, the next thing says he'd be believed on throughout the world. If you go back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you'll receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. To the ends of the earth. 
There are 7.2 billion people in the world. That's a lot. As of May 25th, four days ago, only 198 million of them, 198 million of them did not have active missionaries or church planting uh, uh, people there. 198 million. That's a little bit more than you can count on your fingers, but it's a whole lot less than 7.2 billion people. This shows me that Jesus is being preached and believed on to the ends of the earth. Almost done, and then we get to see what's under, the, what's under there. Almost done. Okay, the last part of this. The last part of this. He was taken up to heaven in glory. Acts chapter 9, no, Acts chapter 1, verse 9 to 11, it tells the story of uh, after Jesus had said, go into all the nations, that God took him up to heaven. And the disciples were watching until they could no longer see him. And there was two white-robed men, two angels stood there and said, men of Galilee, why are you standing there staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but he's going to return someday, just as you saw him go. That's the life story of Jesus. He was born all the way to when he was taken up to heaven. But the angel said he's going to come back again. We can see that. Paul writes about it in chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. Stacia read this from behind the piano. said, just at the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and only almighty God. King of kings and Lord of lords, he alone can never die. He lives in light so brilliant, no human can approach him. No human eye can ever see him nor ever will. All honor and power to him forever and ever. So Jesus is coming back. Now, when you hear verse 16, I've just taught it to you because Paul tells us to teach. Does it make more sense? Christ was revealed in a human body, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, announced to the nations, believed in throughout the world, and taken into heaven in glory. Paul says, read scriptures to the church, encourage the believers, and teach them so that they understand and so that they can apply it to their life. And in chapter 6, he talks about God being revealed, Jesus being revealed again. So he says this word revealed twice. Why do you think he says revealed twice? Anybody? Nobody. It's because he wants people to hear it. He's super excited. He has figured out what's under the blanket, right? And he wants people to know this is the life story of Jesus. This is super exciting. We all need to hear about it. So that's kind of the application for us. We should be just as excited about telling the story of Jesus as we are figuring out what's under the blanket. All right, you guys, you guys have just been fantastic. I know you're super excited. So um, what's, what's under here? You want me to reveal it? Okay. I'm going to have the worship team go ahead and come on forward. So there are two things under the blanket. The first... Is a fancy cross. It reminds us of the story that Paul tells, the story that Scripture tells. It reminds us why we spend time looking in the Bible. Now, the second isn't near as spiritual and holy, but it's a cooler with napkins and ice. And well, it's going to be a mystery as to whether or not the stuff is still frozen. I, I did just lock it. It's a mystery how to get these things open. Kids, you've done so well listening that 
Can't get that out, can I? There's ice cream sandwiches. <gasps> Revealed! Isn't that awesome? So I'm going to pray, guys, and then while we sing, I'm going to give you guys ice cream sandwiches. Uh, the, the mystery has been solved. The uh, revealing will be ice cream sandwiches. So let me pray, and then we'll hand these out. Lord Jesus, thank you so much that you have told us your story, your life story. Thank you that you allow us to meet and gather. Thank you that church is so much more than just, uh, just behave and be quiet. Thank you that we can love you together as a family. And I pray that we would learn the lessons well today. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.